Miss the shows, no worries. We got you covered on point and on the podcast. Where is that business aid promised months ago? And why is it now stuck in the Senate, which is trying to fix it to get it out the door? Google Maps reveals a penis carved into a soy field in PEI. What message is this crown jewel sending to those in Ottawa? And the famous Rockefeller Christmas tree is ugly as hell, but it arrived with the cutest of stowaways now stealing the show. And it really could be a Disney movie. Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you, that's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. The House call upon the government to A make a decision on Huawei's involvement in Canada's 5G network within 30 days of the adoption of this motion, and B, develop a robust plan, as Australia has done, to combat China's growing foreign operations here in Canada and its increasing intimidation of Canadians living in Canada, and table it within 30 days of the adoption of this motion. All those opposed to the motion and participating in person will please rise. Monsieur Trudeau. Monsieur Trudeau. Mr. Blair. Mr. Blair. Monsieur Rodriguez. Mr. Rodriguez. Monsieur Lemetti. Monsieur Lemetti. Monsieur Champagne. Monsieur Champagne. Ms. McKenna. Ms. McKenna. You know, if Justin Trudeau and his clapping seals can't stand against the threat of China, what exactly will the Trudeau government stand for other than their own ideology? Alex Pearson with you on this Thursday, November 19th. Hope you're managing to hang in there in these very uncertain times. It's kind of like we we live in this permanent state of henny penny, the sky's falling. The question is, you know, when does the sky fall? And I've had my little guy home now for three days. Three long days. Because, of course, if your child gets as much as a sniffle, they cannot come to school. Either they have to isolate now for 10 days or you got to get a doctor's note. And I don't know about uh, you, but um, if you've tried to get a doctor's note these days, it is next to impossible. But I am working on it, desperately working on it. But of course, uh, tomorrow's a PD day. (sighs) So it looks like the earliest he'll be going back is Monday. And look, it's not because I don't love my child. It's not like I don't love having him around. But I mean, what parent can get anything done if they've got a kid climbing all over them and asking, you know, I or saying, I'm bored. I'm bored. What can I do? Can I make goo or slime? I mean, every five seconds. Can we make slime, mommy? Can we make slime, please? No, 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 no. I've got to work. I've got to get stuff done. You know, and I just don't have the time. I, I would do, I would love to, right? I'd sit with them and, and work with them online for school. But I get it. I get why the schools are being careful with this approach. I mean, it is a very big reason why the schools are running as smoothly as they are. And and our school has done a terrific job. Uh, My big concern, of course, is the amount of school um, that my child and a lot of other kids are missing. You know, it is so, so damaging. And I already know he's very much behind. And and we did get a tutor. But, you know, when it comes to young kids under 10, they, they just can't do online learning. They don't have the discipline or, or focus. And so when I hear this argument, you know, the schools are good for, you know, babysitting, you know, help the parents. That's nonsense. It's not what this is about. Kids need to be in school. They need the socialization. They need the independence. They need structure. 
and they love it. I mean, they thrive on being in school. And, um, and our principals made clear, and I'm very happy to hear it, that the schools are not closing. Amen to that. But I also, uh, I also know that things can change quickly. So I don't know what we face Friday. But I do know that things are probably going to shut down to some capacity uh, tomorrow, which is why I raced over to Mastermind first thing this morning and did all my Christmas shopping in like 20 minutes. Done. Gone. Done. Because if they have to shut down, at least I got something to give them, you know. But uh, late today, York Region uh, put out uh, a notice that it is begging, begging Premier Ford, don't shut us down. Please, we've got to keep open as much as possible. So welcome to Doug Ford's hell. Welcome to his hell. Damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. And so I don't know, what are we going to see? A patchwork of uh, lockdowns, you know, band-aids kind of everywhere? I mean, the guarantee I can give you about what we hear tomorrow is that no one is going to be happy. No, not the epidemiologists who demand full shutdowns, not the politicians who are hearing from their constituents, not the businesses, of course, that feel like they're paying the ultimate price because people can't just do the basics. Either which way, we will have those details for you fully tomorrow. But that vote you heard off the top of the show, that happened late yesterday. Didn't get a whole lot of coverage. It should. It is about a conservative motion aimed at forcing the Trudeau government to take a harder stand against this uh, increase in Chinese threats. And despite the prime minister and his loyal seal-clapping minions who voted against the motion, it still passed, which means, or should mean, that Trudeau now has 30 days to decide if Huawei will be allowed to supply country, uh, Canada's 5G wireless. Th- this should not be a hard decision, okay? And it should have been made... A long time ago, like two years ago, when the two Michaels were kidnapped and illegally detained. But, you know, Trudeau's decided to rag the puck on this. And and he promised, yeah, I'll get you a decision after uh, the next election. Well, yeah, hello, that was a long time ago. And our Five Eye partners have already said no to this. And they've also warned Canada that should we allow Huawei into our network, they're going to cut us from theirs. And that means being cut out of an intelligence alliance designed to protect each other from these nasty regimes. And yes, China, that means you. So look, there's many valid reasons Mr. Trudeau should have said no. And he can't, he can't quit China. He just can't quit them. You know, he's, he's insistent we continue down a road of appeasement, which is clearly not working. And so, you know, no one should be surprised that he refused to take a stand or vote in favor of this motion. I was, however, heartened, uh, you know, to see a few in his party go against him, you know, and stand on the right side of history. You know, Nathaniel Erskine Smith, Wayne Easter, and a couple of other liberals went rogue on a vote that they were told, you must vote with us. Now, look, personally, I'd much more rather be remembered for standing on the right side of history than being a clapping seal that's, you know, that stands for nothing. That's just me. And speaking of seals, uh, right after that vote happened, Foreign Affairs Minister Champagne went out of his way to let China know, China is and will remain an important commercial partner for Canada. China is a significant source of tourists and students to Canada and brings economic and enriching social benefits across our nation. So clearly he's good just selling our soul to the devil 
he's okay with that. He doesn't care about, you know, defending democracy, standing for principles. Just wanted to make sure China's okay with it. You know, hey, don't worry, China, we still love you. We'll still bend over for you. I mean, polling clearly shows, and it has for quite some time, that Canadians want Trudeau to get tougher. So why he continues to waffle makes no sense. And of late, I mean, yeah, his government has somewhat toughened its stance, you know, in deciding to help Hong Kongers under threat. But of course, that comes months after months of inaction. But we've got this like suck and blow strategy, which they seem to want to be seen to do something without actually doing anything. So Canada, you know, bend over, which brings us back to the motion, which sadly is not binding, which means in 30 days, I don't think anybody should expect Trudeau to grow the backbone he lacks when it comes to dealing with China. You know, he should be standing with Australia, which is a smaller nation than Canada. They are being bullied you know, fiercely right now by China. And they have basically told China to stick it up their behinds and said, look, we're, we're not going to be selling out. We are not. And so they're willing to stand up where we are not. And we are giving up an opportunity to join them and you know, tell China you know, to stick it where the sun doesn't shine. We will talk about this tonight because it is, uh, it's a big issue that just continues to fester like a pussy wound. Sorry if you're eating dinner. All righty, so as we stare yet another lockdown coming for 5 million people across the GTA in Toronto and York and Peel, you know, think about being a business. It is an absolute worst nightmare because this is the most important time for retailers to make margins and you've got restaurants and businesses can't have Christmas parties, can't rely on any people coming into their establishment. So not only will another closure seal a lot of these businesses fate, but the instability is absolutely killing them slowly. And the aid they were promised by the Trudeau government still, still has not passed. I mean, they dragged their feet so long, it just, and I mean, it just got into the hands of the Senate. And apparently it's riddled with flaws, which Krista Freeland herself admits. So it's just a little bit rich now that the liberals just want the Senate to ram this thing through and are happy to shift the blame to the Senate for all the delays. Senator Leo Husakis joining us now. It is good to have you, Senator. Pleasure to be on your show, Alex. Thank you for having me. This is Bill C-9, not a fancy name, but this is a crucial business aid that was promised, like, what, six weeks ago after months and months of bad aid. But this was a new aid bill um, that businesses were supposed to get back in September when they were told to lock down again. Apparently, it was fast-tracked through the House of Commons, which when I heard, heard that term, I thought, well, if this is fast-tracking, I would certainly not to see want to see slow, um, because nothing about this has been fast. But you just got it Tuesday, as I understand. But if you listen to the Prime Minister, I mean, they're pressuring everybody now. Tell the Senate to get this thing done. So can well, it be done? This has been the way this uh, Trudeau government has been operating since day one. They've been trying to flatten the curve, and we've seen there's no success with that. If anything, they've been trying to uh, catch up with the curve, because at the end of the day, they've been delayed on everything. Uh, we have, we've seen how slow they were in shutting down tra- transport and uh, uh, travel in this country. We see how... Yeah. 
they botched up testing and, and monitoring people that are coming in from red zones around the world at the airport. So uh, their intransigence allowed for this virus to spread as quickly as it did in the spring. We had a full shutdown. Uh, they used the great rhetoric about how they're going to be there for Canadians. Uh, they put out a CERB program, which now we're finding out with a little mm-hmm. bit of scrutiny. A lot of people have illegitimately claimed it, and the government doesn't know how to how to recuperate a lot of this money. And of course, now there's been crucial. Let me just tell the listeners, by the way, we're talking eight hundred thousand people, high Absolutely. school students, people that shouldn't have got it. That's who got the CERB. So go on. And and now we're in a situation where everyone we knew we were going to get a second wave now in the fall. We were talking about it since the first wave in the spring. So what did Mr. Trudeau do? He's been suspending Parliament. Both the House of Commons and the Senate have have sat during the most existential crisis facing this country since World War II. The Parliament of Canada and and its public servants have worked far less than ever before in the history of this country, which is completely imprudent. And then we have a Prime Minister that has sent out the door 343 billion dollars of aid money since March with no no scrutiny whatsoever. Half the time it hasn't been done in a timely fashion and we see now with Bill C-9, it's a promise of aid. They've been promising uh, businesses right across this country, rent aid and so on and so mm-hmm. forth, knowing that the second wave is around the corner. And what did they do? They prorogued Parliament. This is how pressing it was for the Trudeau government. They decided, as you know, to prorogue Parliament in order to cover up another liberal scandal, which was the Wee scandal, which was the abuse and misuse or attempt of $900 million of taxpayers' money, again, under the veil of we need to help students, we need to get out aid. And what they've managed to do is on a constant basis cajole, uh, put pressure on parliamentarians at the end of a gun saying, listen, if you guys don't rush this out the door, we get that money out the door, poor Canadians are going to suffer. Well, right now, the only reason Canadians are suffering in regards to Bill C-9 and this current aid request is the government prorogued to cover their corruption. They've been uh, allowing Parliament to function in the most limited way. And when Parliament does function, they put a gun to our head and say, hey, you guys are obstructionists. You guys are preventing help to the Canadian public. And this government can't even put together legislation in a technical, appropriate, legal way to get it through the Parliament. As we've discovered in the last few days, this bill itself is flawed from a legal, technical perspective. And CRA has already brought it to the attention of the government that this bill, if it goes through in its current form, will be in actual fact in in contempt of parliament and illegal. Okay, so it's clear that the, the only thing flattened, you know, these days is businesses. And so when I hear you say that this is riddled with with problems, that that you know it's going to come back to haunt us. What are you talking about? Like, what well, are we what are we looking at here? Even if we rush it through in the next twenty four hours, as we've rushed through three hundred forty three billion dollars with no scrutiny, and when this pandemic is over, we're going to be dealing with a a greater crisis, which is an economic catastrophe facing taxpayers in this country, and. And the fact is, even with this aid bill, if we get it through tomorrow morning, it's still three months behind schedule. Businesses are on the verge of bankruptcy, as we all know. We've shut down coast to coast right now, half-assed restaurants, at times gyms. We decided to open up schools, but not universities. The truth of the matter is governments across the board have mismanaged this because there is no national strategy. There's been no leadership from the national government on this particular issue, and it shows the results are getting worse. We saw the numbers in the first uh, wave, and we were supposed to flatten it with massive national shutdowns, and now we're seeing the second wave where the numbers are even more uh, devastating. And let's face it, if you look at the model, there's going to be a third wave coming in the middle of flu season, in the middle of the winter in this country, and the governments can't afford to keep printing money anymore. We can't. We're at a dead end. It's crazy. I mean, we've seen no budget. 
which is unheard of. Uh, I don't remember any other government, I mean, that's never presented a budget in 18 months. So there's absolutely no scrutiny on these hundreds of billions in, in emergency spending. Um, we hear every night, we've got you back, you know, we're all in this together. But what we're not getting is any truth as to, you know, what this country is going to look like. Should we get out of this thing? And, and hopefully we'll have a vaccine. But, you know, the premier is going to come out tomorrow. And I don't know if he's going to lock down all these regions again, or if it's going to be more partial lockdowns. But the bottom line is, businesses and people cannot survive for much longer economically, never mind the damage the virus will do. I mean, have you ever seen anything like this in this country that you can compare it to? Alex, I'll tell you something. I've been in business for 25 years before I got appointed to the Senate in uh, in 2009. And in the 12 years I've been up here in Parliament, I haven't seen many things the government does right. And this is just another example. In this particular instance, though, it's not a question that an auditor, you know, auditor general will conduct an audit and will find some impropriety or, or find mismanagement. This is going to cost hundreds of thousands of lives, not just in terms of a, from a health perspective, but the mental abuse, uh, the mental anguish that people are mm-hmm. facing, the stress that people are facing right now with, uh, with economic crisis. And the government, Mr. Trudeau's government, has provided nothing but a false sense of security to Canadians by just not being straight with them. That even with this, they're, they're building up hopes again with this vaccine. Any professional you talk to, you know this vaccine's a good six months away. We also yeah. are not quite sure the, how effective this vaccine will be. And at the end of the day, even with a vaccine, we're going to need uh, herd immunization in order to, to get this done. So at some point, politicians and governments must, come, must come to terms with the fact that these shutdowns are not working and we need a new strategy. And I'm waiting for any leadership, provincial or federal at this particular point, for somebody to stand up and say, look, we've tried something for nine months, other than printing money and putting our economy on the verge of bankruptcy, you know, we need a new strategy and a new plan. And the only way we can have that is for politicians to get their heads out of the sand and stop being Santa Claus and promising things they can't deliver and sitting down and having a frank discussion with our business people, with the small business community, having a frank discussion with stakeholders and citizens of what the virage or what the change in strategy should be. Well, I mean, I'm afraid when I hear comments coming from the uh, governor of the Bank of Canada, you know, talking about the crisis of climate change, and I hear question period where trust and truth, that's all he's talking about. I mean, it's clear that their their eye is not on the prize, and I don't know why the Bank of Governors is even weighing into that kind of garbage. But nonetheless, there's a lot of politics at play here, and there's an awful lot of people in this country, I don't think, that are going to recognize Canada, uh, you know, at the rate we're going once this is done. Alex, it's, uh, it's funny how you say there's a lot of politics going on, and you're absolutely you're right. Politicians in the 21st century are in this reflex of believing they have to tell people what they want to hear. And I've always believed leadership is not doing what's popular. It's doing what's right. And at some point in time, we need to tell Canadians what the realities are, both economic and from a healthcare perspective. Yeah. We have to sort of sit down and look at the vaccine, look at the possibilities, look at uh, the, the applicability of it, the time frame of it, look at the economic realities and go to the Canadian people and start saying, look, this is, these are the facts. Yeah, managing expectations is crucial. Otherwise, you're going to kill people with hope. In the history of mankind, we've had pandemics, uh, and, and, and human nature finds a way to deal with them. But crystal clear, I've never seen a more intrusionist approach to dealing with a pandemic in the history of mankind, where we have politicians running all over the place telling everyone they're going to take care of them. And I'll tell you, like I said, I spent most of my life in business, and I've spent a little bit of time up here in Parliament, on Parliament Hill, and it's becoming tiresome to listen to politicians of all political stripes running around telling everybody, don't worry, count on me. I don't know where I come from, Alex. You better count on yourself. You better get up in the morning, and you better take the right decisions to take care of yourself and your family. 
from your lips to uh, God's ears. Senator, I appreciate your time on this, and uh, we'll await, uh, I guess, this bill passing, and we'll talk again. Thank you so much. So if you go on over to Google Maps and you search the property of one PEI property owner, there you will see the image of a beautiful farming property. And you see the trees, the water, and a big giant penis (laughs) carved into an overgrown soya field. Yeah, and it's big and it's very clear as day. And as my next uh, guest explains, it started as a giant crop circle. But then with a few long cuts, he managed to turn this uh, into a giant Johnson on his family farm, which has been long considered a family jewel, but now has a couple of new jewels. His name, Jamie Ricks. Good to have you, Jamie. Hi, how are you? Well, you know, I got to be honest, it's a very cocky way to send a message. I mean, the jokes write themselves with this one, but I, I, I have to think, I mean, you're getting all sorts of attention for this thing, but it was somewhat of a statement you were making. Well, uh, someone says, where do you think all the knobs are? And it points towards Ottawa, so I guess. <laughs> so that's why it's facing east, towards Ottawa. Or west, yes. West, okay, there you go. Yes. Uh, uh, but it, was that the intent when you, when you started this thing? like, Or did it was it just a fluke that you thought, well, I'll just do this? Oh, it was more of a dare. I, I, uh, I work offshore on ships, and uh, you kind of, cooped up for quite a while with different people and uh, on a bridge and uh, just crazier ideas come up. And uh, this was more of a dare. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you would. and I said, yes, I would. So I, I did it, uh, took my drone up and took a picture of it. And then when I got back to work, they said, you didn't leave it like that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. Uh, so a few people flying in from, different places could see it and you'd hear back a little bit but uh not until cbc got a hold of it and put it on uh on their show or their thing did it really take off well you know my dad was in the shipping industry and i used to go on board his ships and uh, i i heard a couple of uh interesting tales and and i know what kind of pranks would go on uh, so, yes, I'm sure uh, you got a, a couple of interesting ideas there. But, you know, the only way you can see this thing is by air. So for the longest time, I mean, for what, a year, your wife didn't even know about it. Does she, she must know about it now. I think she's been asked a few times by different people, <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, I see I, I have the property here and I like to make some trails through the woods and kind of keep things, I was going to say natural, but uh, I guess. The, you mean groomed, uh, yes, manscaped. Yeah, groomed. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, she, yeah, she doesn't have much to do with that part of it. Plus, like you said, you can't see it on the ground. Um, no. Not easy, not easy to do something like that at ground level. That's where the drone came in. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be a terrible thing to make her do all the manscaping of it now. But how she, how does she feel about the work? I mean, is she angry? Was she laughing? Uh, would she like it to grow in? It was more of a indifferent don't talk to me about stuff like that, and off she'd go. So, <laughs> no, she only found out about it kind of recently and uh, and just not that interested, really. Oh, you got lucky. All right, there you go. So, look, I, I'm surprised <laughs> that Google Maps would actually uh, put it up, but they did. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure they knew it was there when they <laughs> It's hard to miss. <laughs> I mean, it's giant. <laughs> you can see it from space, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I think they do uh, every, I think it's two to three years, they update their their 
uh, orbits with new photos and stuff because there's always new developments and whatnot. And uh, I don't know if anyone actually vets that. <laughs> so uh, they may not have known it was there, you know, specifically. Yeah. Nonetheless, I mean, it it is like the prank of all pranks. Are you getting uh, a lot of props from uh, from your uh, your shipmates? So, I mean, I mean, you kind of pulled off the ultimate prank here. Well, they I'm getting a lot of high fives and thumbs up um, feedback. It, no one's been upset, that's for sure. I haven't had one negative thing uh, in his feedback, so uh, I'm pretty happy about that because the intent was just for fun. It's not a, a supposed to be nasty or anything like that it was just uh i dare you and i said challenge accepted let's do it so yeah it is but it's a it's a pretty tough prank to kind of up like and that's the thing it's like what do you do next yeah i tried i sound thinking of turning it into a thumb but i don't <laughs> i don't know if that's possible well, you could put a bit of a curve on it, but that, it would still look the same. Yes. Yeah, I guess the question now is, do I leave it? Hmm. What's the local reaction been? Nobody's sending a word to me, except people I already know. <laughs> like the, <laughs> the cops haven't even come out. Like, there's no, nothing like that at all. There's nobody from the, the town or uh, or government or anybody saying finish cutting your yard or anything like that or your field so um so so either you've been shunned or uh, they just don't really care but but it is getting you an awful lot of attention like around the country and outside of the country i would imagine i suppose yeah um i suppose at some point somebody will probably say you wouldn't mind finish finishing that job and cut the rest of the field would you and i say sure i wouldn't protest against that if somebody did decide you know, enough's enough. Get rid of it. But we can always have it. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, I think uh, the next time the satellite redoes the pictures, you can still go back and see it. Well, you can always ask for a hand with that job. So, uh, you know, clearing <laughs> that up. <laughs> yeah, get the whole community in there. You know what the nice thing is about uh, trying to track you down is I just, I know one guy in PEI and I said, do you by chance know the guy with the penis in the field? And he's like, yeah, he just lives down the way. I'll go get his number. And I thought, <laughs> how easy is that? But life in PEI, everyone knows everybody. You can ask four questions and you know all about someone's family. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Well, you are a famous infamous and nonetheless a lot of fun jamie i appreciate your time on this and i'll uh, keep an eye out for what you come up with next you're very welcome and thanks for your interest thank you jamie ricks so there you are go to google maps it's you can't miss it it's enormous nonetheless i love i love people with a sense of humor there are so few of them left in the world and i love that this was uh, something that he and his guys on the ships did because they always come up with the best pranks the best one I learned out uh, was not really a prank. If you ever want to win a bar bet, bet someone that they can't eat three pickled eggs in a row without taking a drink. They can't do it. You can't do it. You can win a lot of money doing that one. 
Well, if this next story does not soften your COVID-hardened hearts, I don't think anything will. Uh, But just, uh, you know, in the last day or so, in New York, the iconic Rockefeller Christmas tree was put up, and it's normally a spectacular event and tree, but because it's 2020, this uh, Norway spruce kind of looks a bit more like a Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, it just, it needs a little love. Um, But while everyone was kind of laughing at the tree... They're staring back from it was this little tiny stowaway, a baby owl that somehow got stuck to the limb, maybe by some sap, and then somehow survived a three-day journey, a 170-mile journey to New York. And that is where they uh, found him when uh, the tree went up. And he's since been uh, named Rockefeller, and he's now being cared for by a terrific group at Ravensbeard Wildlife Center in New York. Ellen Kalish is the founder and director, and um, I take it your phone's been ringing off the hook with questions about Rockefeller. He's a cutie. Yes, it has been. It's been very, very busy. These are the kinds of stories that you kind of don't believe. I mean, three days, freezing cold, um, I think, bound inside a Christmas tree, rocking down the highway. That is quite traumatic for a, a baby bird. Yes, it is. Um, the the one thing we do know is that he's not a baby. He is an oh. adult. Um, all the babies in, in the Northeast are born from uh, March to July, so... Um, he is an adult, but it's a great time to talk about these guys because most people don't realize that these owls are living among us and 24-7, and we have no idea because they're nocturnal and um, choose to be hidden, and their feathers are camouflaged, so they blend right into the tree bark. Um, it's nearly impossible to, to spot one and to find one. But, you know, to think what this little guy has been through, I mean, not only does the tree get chopped down and falls to the ground, he didn't come out that way. And then when they bound the tree up and prepped it for travel, no one could see him. He was kind of buried in there. That's a lot of trauma for a bird. It certainly is. And that's why I was so excited to see his bright eyes and his body intact (laughs) when I opened up the box to take a look at him. Wow. You know, it could have been much, much worse. And the fact that, you know, after the x-rays at the vet, he's, he's, you know, no fractures, muscle tone, everything is, is um, you know, in, in perfect shape. So he was just starving and dehydrated. And um, Not, Nothing a couple of mice and, uh, I guess, a, a couple of bugs and, and that uh, wouldn't suffice. I mean, I, I take it, he is he settling in well? Yes, he is. He is. He took a bath this morning in his, uh, his little dish. <laughs> um, water was everywhere, and he was happy. So, yeah, we're just um, keeping him till the weekend, uh, feeding him up and making sure that he's got a full belly for the release. So what happens to him now? I mean, I don't know where he came from, but does he get released, you know, wherever? Does he have to live a particular place? And, um, I mean, we all thought he was a baby. He's a very small kind of owl. I mean, what happens to him? He, um, by nature, these little owls are nomadic. So Mm. he doesn't really have one home. He might have a nesting area where he goes back every year, um, but they find a new mate. They're the one owl that does not mate for life. Oh. And um, they're highly migratory. 
so they can, you know, exhaust a food source in one area and fly to the next state, you know, and, and settle in there. So um, because of their nature, we don't feel that it's worth the two-hour car ride and, you know, the excess trauma and handling to bring him back to where he was. He's going to, you know, have his, his life um, wherever he is. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of have it in their head that he'll go and live with someone in their home and have a happily ever after. But really, I think his happily ever after is probably in a sub-zero weather uh, in, in a tree. I know. We anthropomorphize because they're so adorable. But the real, you know, the real nature of them is they are predators and they're fierce. So... So not quite as cute as uh, as we're being not not quite as cute as the pictures and and you're a wildlife center. I mean, you guys were the first, I guess, to get the call when the person found this bird in the tree, and so they were frantically looking for some kind of sanctuary uh, to help them uh, rehabilitate what they thought was an injured bird. And so he came to you. I mean, you don't get attached. No, no. <laughs> in fact, um, we get so many birds in that we really live for the releases. And that just kind of, uh, you know, hypes us up and gets us, gives us hope. <laughs> because as a center, um, close to 50% of the birds that come in um, are unreleasable. Or they're, you know, they die the next day because right. they don't show when they're down. A, a, a sick bird is a dead bird, you know. Yeah, yeah, they that's true. Everything in their power. Um, to stand up and look like, you know, they could hurt you. <laughs> well, well, he's become quite a little celebrity, and certainly, uh, I mean, all eyes are on you guys as you get him back to, um, you know, in tip-top shape for for release. But it really, it's such a special kind of story in a in a year where everything has been so negative, and even if the tree's not so pretty, and Rockefeller has kind of he's it's almost like a Disney movie. Right. Yes. Yes. Yes, um, it's it's just such a special story that I I couldn't sit on it alone. I felt that it needed to be shared, especially you know these days. So um, I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity to share it. And uh, very grateful to organizations like yourself because you're a nonprofit, and of course you survive on uh, donations. And certainly, I hope that this has brought a lot of eyeballs to the kind of work that you guys do. It's often work that goes noticed, but um, good on you guys for doing the kind of work you do. Thank you so, so much. Yes, it's an honor to work with these birds. Thank you very much. And uh, onward and upward, Rockefeller, you certainly brought a smile to a lot of our uh, of all our faces. So thank you, Ellen, for talking to us. You're so welcome. Thank you. Your- Bye-bye now. By the uh, organization is Raven's Beard Wildlife Center. And uh, hey, if you got a donation, you want to send Rockefeller or uh, just help these guys out, they do it all for free just to uh, make sure nature gets uh, back to being in nature. It's a wonderful story. Just nice to have a nice story. All right, you can join us live Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 10 on point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.